Randy, thank you so much for praying for your staff, praying for those families, brother. If you didn't know this week, church, uh, we probably, I think we had four uh, deaths this week, um, and that's, that is unusual to have so many in one week, and uh, I just want you to be praying for those families. Pray, uh, continue to pray for Lisa Sanderson and her family. I got by to see Miss Pat the other day, and she seems to be doing wonderful. It was a great time of fellowship with her. Um, but if you know Kevin Wattenbarger, reach out to him. His mother, Teresa, passed away. She had been struggling with cancer. You know, Kevin is one of the young men we sent out from here to go help plant shine. Uh, he used to be one of our guitarists uh, that were up here uh, week after week for years and years. And uh, his mother passed away. So pray for them. Charles Wood uh, also passed this week. Um, if you know Charles, the, the self-proclaimed mayor of Lizard Lick. And uh, what, a, what a great man of God who loved to serve people. 1.30 to 3 o'clock tomorrow in this building, uh, we'll be holding visitation. And at 3 o'clock, there will be a funeral for Mr. Wood. So if you haven't had a chance to reach out to that family, please do that. And also, Andrew and A.J. Long. Andrew lost his mother this week. She had been struggling for years with physical health issues. And just pray for them. Students, you guys are one of the ones that receive the biggest blessing uh, from the longs they serve in your department and and with you guys and pour out i hope that you guys will take the chance to just speak into their lives and just pray for them so randy thank you for sharing that and church i hope that you'll share with those families as well we are in first corinthians chapter six this morning and uh <laughs> josh you said a couple weeks ago man i pulled a tough text this is crazy i gotta preach on church discipline i'll trade you because i get to do the sex talk today so uh yeah you want you want to switch I figured you would not want to switch that topic. Um, but the reality is, guys, this is a topic that we need to talk about in the church today. And really, as I heard uh, these songs sung this morning, I can't think of a greater motivation for us to want to hear this discussion than to remember, remember the song, two songs uh, back, remember what it said, that we are a bride waiting for our groom to return. And most of us forget day to day that we are the bride of Christ, that literally, he has covenanted with us, and we have pledged our faithfulness to Him to live a life that honors and pleases Him. And we have the acknowledgement that one day He is going to come again. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. We should be asking this every single day. If He were to come back in this moment, would He find me faithful? I want you to think for a minute. Would He find me waiting for Him? in holiness, and in purity, that I want to live my life so that when he comes, whether he, he comes and takes me in death or whether he comes again to rapture his church, don't you want to be ready? Don't you want to honor him with your life and, and, that, and all that waiting as he is going and preparing a place for us? We have been faithful to him here. And folks, one of the greatest struggles that is facing the United States, Western culture, the church of Jesus Christ, is the amount of sexual impurity that is happening around us and in us. This is a topic that doesn't get talked about a lot in church, and it's really tragic. And I don't want you to hear me today, especially young people, I don't want you to hear me say that sex is a bad thing. If anybody's married, guess what? You know sex is a good thing. This isn't one of those discussions 
where we have to come at it in such a negative way that in every way we miss the fact that God has given us this great gift that when he created us, he created us with purpose. And part of his purpose was that we would join together as husbands and wives and we would make families, right? Families that would honor and glorify him. Families that would take his fame and take him to the ends of the earth and make his glory known and a big part of the intimacy. What brings the greatest joy to marriage is intimacy between a husband and a wife. Sex is not a negative thing, but like anything in this life, we can take something that is good, that is right, something that is beautiful, and, and we can pervert it, can't we? And you see, that's what's really happening in this world today. You can see by the title that I've given you today, that is a very different thought than what our culture is telling us. Our culture is telling us, guess what? My body what? My body is my choice. Don't you hear that mantra on the news every single day? My body, my choice, my body. I can do with it what I want. My body, nobody has the right to dictate to me how I live my life and what I do with my own body. Folks, that ought to never be said by believers in Jesus Christ. Because my body is God's temple. Amen. We're going to learn today that the Bible actually says that I am not my own. That I have been bought with a price. I serve a king. I have a master. I have a Lord who loves me and who gave himself for me. And he knows what's best for me. And he says to me, I want all of you. And you see, here's the question. Can we take our lives, our bodies, our money, our anything, our everything, and so trust Jesus that we place it in his hand and say, thy will be done. You know why? Because, God, you know what's best. You are the one who created me. You are the one who designed me. Folks, there is a great lie that is going on out there, and we're going to talk about really a couple of things today. We're going to talk about how we rationalize sexual immorality in our culture today. And what's interesting is I'm not going to have to take it out of our culture today. I'm going to take the same things, the same excuses that we use today. We're going to go back thousands of years and we're going to find that they were rationalizing the same exact way. When the Bible says there's nothing new under, under the sun, guess what it means? There's nothing new under the sun. The struggles that we have are struggles. The temptations that we have are temptations that are not uncommon to man. They are very common to man, and they have been talked about. They have been discussed long before we ever set foot on this planet. I want us to see the reasons why, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must choose sexual purity. We got to just get beyond just how we rationalize our sexual immorality to discover what it is that God has given us as reasons why we have to choose sexual purity. And, and we're going to talk lastly this morning about this one command that he has given us. He boils it down and he says, when it comes to sexual morality, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I'm asking you to do with it. And so as we get into God's word today, here's the truth that we cannot forget as believers. 
The great fact of the Christian faith is not that our faith makes a man free to sin. But our liberty in Jesus Christ, you know what it actually does? You know what our freedom in Christ does? It makes us free not to sin. So much of what we're going to discuss today is around the idea that, you know what, if grace abounds in Jesus, then it doesn't matter how I live. Paul said, may it never be. There are so many of us today that think, you know what, the physical and the spiritual, they're two different things. Paul will say that's absolutely not true. If you are in Christ, here's the good news of Jesus Christ. You have been set free, not to sin, but you have been set free from sin. You are now free to choose a different life, a different course, a different direction. You can choose holiness because of what Christ has done in you. And if you think that we live in a sex-crazed culture, go back to what we've been sharing over the last several months. Nothing was more sex-crazed than Corinth. When you live in a city where sex is literally worshipped, and listen, I believe it's almost literally worshipped here. They lived in a city where literally every day at dusk, out of the temple to Diana, thousands of female and male prostitutes would leave that temple. And people in their minds would worship this goddess through sex with these prostitutes. Let that sink in. I mean, if you want to talk about how far a society can go, let that sink in. I mean, granted, we, we live in a sex-crazed culture where it's on, I mean, listen, shampoo. You have to have sex to sell shampoo, it seems now. Isn't that crazy? To, to sell a Hardy's cheeseburger. It's in all of our music. It's in all of our television. It's in all of our movies. It's in all of our schools. Everywhere, this is the topic. Everywhere, this is the discussion. But folks, I don't want you to think this is new to the world. This is exactly the culture that was being lived in. This temple of Diana, this temple of Aphrodite. These temples that were erected in this city literally for the pagan worship of sexual promiscuity. Could you imagine trying to be the church in a setting like that? Well, of course you can. Because we're trying to be a church in a setting like this. When the whole world is sharing a completely different worldview. And folks, what is happening? What is so scary to me as a pastor is that rather than standing on the truth about what God's word has to say to us, the church, rather than standing firm on the rock, is trying to soften its views so that we are palatable to the world. We have whole denominations that are mainline denominations like Southern Baptists who are now on the slippery slope of, I can assure you, death because they are accepting homosexuality as something that is good and should be applauded rather than what the Bible has to say. Folks, there are churches, and listen, here's, here's the danger within Baptist churches, and it doesn't get talked about, and it doesn't make the news. 
But it's every bit as tragic as what is happening in Methodism. It's happening in Baptist life because what we have chosen to do is allow sex, illicit, immoral, ungodly sex outside of marriage, fornication, adultery, and everything else to run rampant within our walls, and we don't even deal with it as a church. If you want to live together in most Baptist churches, guess what? Live together. You know, how can I know who I'm marrying unless I kick the tires a little bit, right? Isn't that what we talk about? Isn't that how we act? How can I know? All throughout our culture, everybody is screaming at the church, my body, my choice. We have kids dating at 10, 11 years old. Folks, what are we doing as a church? They don't want to brush their teeth. You think they're ready for decisions about dating? And we think it's funny. We think it's cute. We hand them phones in Baptist churches, and, and there are no checks and balances on those phones. Most of our children, by the time they're 12 years old, have been viewing graphic pornography. And we don't talk about it. Why? Because you don't talk about sex in church. I would dare say that the reason so many people within our churches today are struggling spiritually is because of sexual immorality. It's killing our walk with Jesus. It's killing our communication, our fellowship. What is meant to be an intimate, beautiful relationship with our groom. is being squeezed out. Because our lives are so sex-filled. Not in marriage. But in every other way. Folks, does it not matter what we watch? It does. Does it not matter what we read? What we allow our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And folks, listen, you're talking to a person that is made up of flesh just like you. I understand the struggle. I live in the struggle every day that you live in. But folks, we have got to turn an eye to this topic and have a serious discussion. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. When you turn into the Word of God with me in chapter 6, we're going to just look at a few verses in 12 through 29 verses. And here's how he begins, and, and all this ties together because remember, they're trying to talk about unity within the body of Christ. How do we deal with issues and struggles that are going on within the church? And in verses 9 and 10, he just talked about the fact that here's the reality that we've got to face, that no fornicators, and, and remember the list, no idolaters. He talked about the effeminate, homosexuality. He went through this whole list of revilers, drunkards, all these things, and he says they will not what? They will not what? I, I, they will not inherit, thank you, Gordon, the kingdom of God. And he's about to delve into these topics 
a little further and, and a little deeper because he's realizing that these things are finding their way into the body of believers. And so when you get to verse 20, he starts to pick apart these specific topics. And he's going to talk about this, and he's going to talk about marriage, and he's going to talk about divorce, and he's going to hit a bunch of issues that the church is dealing with that he's saying, you know what, we, this, this isn't who we are. This isn't who we should be in Christ. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified in Jesus, and it ought to change the way that we live. And so here's the beginnings of the discussion. He says, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And listen to this, underline this. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself with a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. <clears throat> or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Listen to this. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Three ways we rationalize sexual immorality. Most of the time, we begin by just trying to say that, you know what, it's not really a sin. It's permissible. Folks, we, and, and see, for some of you, you're like, no, who would say that? We have whole denominations now saying it. You see how we, we think we could never get to that place as Christians. Are you paying attention? All the way back here in Corinth, that's where they were. You know what they were doing? They were taking the words that Paul had spoken, and they were perverting them. They were twisting them because Paul over and over had discussed with the church in Rome, with the church in Galatia. Now he's having discussed with the church in Corinth that, you know what, there are issues in the Christian life that, you know what, sometimes we look at them like they're gray areas because we don't have thou shalt and thou shalt not. Sometimes we have to measure and we have to decide about our Christian liberty. Are we free to do certain things? And that's why we have disagreements in the church over, can you have a glass of wine or not? Are you going to hell because you smoke a cigarette? Or are you not? Right? We have all these discussions. Well, Paul's going to say out of the gate, listen, number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're no longer under the law. Your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been forgiven. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, you have been set free. And right there, some people, they stop listening to what Paul has to say and they fixate on that one statement that, you know what? You are free. Everything for us now is permissible. Is that what Paul meant? No, no. no. 
No, he, he was giving us understanding of how to navigate issues like, do we still have to honor the Jewish holidays? Do we still have to do this? Do we have to do that? He's trying to help people navigate these things. And, and he gives us in this, this word actually a great statement on how it is we should navigate these things. But I, I want you to see that ultimately what is happening in this text is that Paul is trying to show them how they've twisted his words. They did it to Augustine, too. Augustine made a great quote. He gave, a, I think it's there on the screen for you guys. He gave a great quote. He said, love God and do as you please. Now, see, in one way, you understand if you know the scriptures exactly what it is that he means. Because the Bible says, if you love God, you will what? You will obey God. And if you're obeying God, he's saying that everything that comes out of obedience, guess what you should do? Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Because if you love God, you want to honor him. You want to obey him. You want to bring glory to him. You want to make much of him. And when you come to the place that I love God, you know what God hates. And a person who loves God won't do what God hates. And he says, if you really love him and you really know him and you're really serving him, then you know what? Follow that heart's desire that comes out of obedience and love for God. Because you can't separate love and obedience, can you? But some people would look at that quote, you know what they'd say? All I have to do is say I love God and I can live however I want. We pervert. We twist. And Paul is saying, listen. If you want to use my words, all things are lawful to me. He says, let me ask you a question. Does that mean all things are profitable? That in the end, are they good? Because even if your own logic, even if you took that twisted logic and said all things are permissible to me, he's going to look at those people and going to say, are you telling me that adultery is somehow good? That pedophilia is somehow good? That the unnaturalness of homosexuality, that somehow that's good when God has said that it is not good? Are you going to say that somehow... You're going to find these things profitable when God has said they bring about his wrath? And then he turns around and says the second part of that verse in 12. And he says, you want to say that all things are permissible, but he says, listen, you can't let anything master you. And you see, when you get into all these discussions about things like alcohol, listen, none of us are going to argue that when alcohol becomes your master, listen, and you lose control, your life is going to become a series of problems. Pain, suffering is going to come out of those things that we allow in our life that we become in bondage to them. They become our master. We become the slave. And he's saying, listen, these desires that are inside of you, they are enslaving you and they are leading you down paths that are not good, that are not healthy, that are not righteous. Paul was always having to say what he said in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? Do you think that I meant that somehow because we have grace, somehow because we have forgiveness, somehow because God loves us and gave himself for us, that now means that we can sin so that grace may abound? What was his answer? Clearly, absolutely not. His words were being hijacked. They were being perverted. 
Folks, if you wonder, is there a way for us to say, well, since we're not under the law, well, since we are forgiven in Christ, since we have grace, so let's sin that grace may abound. Let me, let me read to you what God said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. This is what God has to say about the issue, and you tell me how this could possibly be profitable for you. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed shall be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Do you hear it? Could it be any more clear where God is on that issue? Do you think that somehow he gave his life to free you to go back into that which destroys you and everybody around you? No, he set you free so that you could be free. So that you could truly live and not be in bondage any longer to these things. And then secondly, he says, not only do we state that it's not sin, but it's permissible. Sometimes we state that, you know what, it's a natural desire that must be fulfilled. That's what he was saying in verse 13 when he said the food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. He's saying it's just natural. Just like a stomach needs food and, and food needs a stomach. Listen, the body craves sex and therefore because we crave sex, we ought to fulfill that desire just like the desire to eat. Folks, let's just take that on common sense level. If you did everything you desired, where would you be? Do you see the common sense there? If every thought that you had, you acted on? Could you imagine if every thought that you had, you just simply said it? There ain't a person in this room that would be married. There ain't a person in this room that would have children. We'd have killed our children. We all, listen, Montana would be the biggest state in the union because everybody's thought, you know what, I'm going to leave it all and I'm going to go to Montana. If you acted on every desire, see, here's what we have to remember about our desires is that we are a people that are still wrapped in flesh. We are a people that are still being sanctified and temptation is always going to be there in the lives even of believers. You do realize that, right? It's a law that's always at work. Temptation is always there. The flesh is always there. Now, now listen, we don't have to obey that law. You've heard me say before, that there's two laws at work, and sometimes one law can supersede another law. Just like gravity, what goes up must what? Come down. So that would be true of a plane, right? You see a plane in the sky, and you think, okay, where's gravity? Well, there's another law that is superseding gravity, thermodynamics, right? You've got thrust, you've got lift, you've got fuel, and as long as you have things like that, those laws are going to supersede gravity. But let me tell you something. Get rid of those things, and what do you suddenly realize? Has gravity been there all along? Yeah, and you're going to find out real quick. It's why we walk close with Jesus, and we pray, and we study our Bibles, and we gather together as believers in Jesus Christ. Why we go through the process of being disciples and letting Christ transform us from the inside out. Because when you separate yourself from him, you're cutting yourself off from the source of life. Without him, guess what you can do? Nothing. If you're not attached to the vine, you have no source of life. So that's why those things become so important to our daily walk, our intimacy with God. 
Because that's the only way our desires are going to shift, are going to change, where we realize, you know what, we can master them. They don't have to master us. Because, folks, here's what you need to remember about yourself. A lot of the desires you have, you have because you are a broken individual. He's going to say, you know what? I need you to understand that the stomach isn't the big question here. Food isn't the big question here. He's saying there's something else that is at play. What about your whole body? And I want you to see what he says. He says about our whole body, he says, food is for the stomach, stomach for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality. There it is. That's as clear as Hebrews 13. You weren't made for immorality. God's intention for you is never immorality. So when we talk about liberty, when we talk about freedom in Christ, when we talk about grace, you're not free for immorality. You weren't made. Your body isn't made for immorality. That's not God's plan or purpose. But for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but also raise up. he will raise uh, us up through his power. Now, you see, what he's getting at here is we're all broken people. We are all clay. But his body was broken so that ours could be made new. Did you hear me? Jesus' body was broken, bruised, beaten, hung on a cross. He was crucified. Why? So that we could be made new. We live in resurrection power, church. You say you're broken. What can God do with broken things. I got a picture up here of a bowl. How many of y'all have ever seen something like this? Anybody ever seen Kintsugi? Nobody? For real? Yeah. It's actually pretty interesting because what the artist does is he actually takes something that has been created and he purposefully breaks it. And the beauty of that artwork is that he pieces all of it back together. And rather than hiding the impurities and the imperfections, what they do is that rather than leaving, because obviously without something binding, it's just going to fall back apart. So what they do is they take this powdery dust stuff and they infuse it with gold flakes. And they literally piece it back together, laced in this gold. And what was once broken now becomes very what? It's beautiful and it's valuable. See, I can't think of a better picture of what Christ is doing in us. Are we broken? Yes. Can he fix us? Yes. Can he heal us? Yes. Can he transform us? Yes. Can he change our desires? Yes. Can he change our very nature? Yes, he can. And folks, it's not done with gold. Something much more precious than gold accomplished that for us. And that's at the end of this section. The blood of Jesus Christ is what did that for us. Thirdly, we state that it's only physical. And it's not spiritual. Well, folks, I want you to hear me when I say this, because this is what Jesus is going to get at in verse 13 and 14. We want to say that this is physical and there's a separation between the physical and the spiritual. That's what they wanted to believe, that the soul is good, the body is bad. All that matters is the soul is with God and going to be with God. So whatever we do with our body, it doesn't matter because it's going to go to the grave and rot anyways. Is that the view of a New Testament believer? Is that the view that Jesus had of our bodies? How important is our body? Very, because what is he going to do in the end? He's going to resurrect it. 
He's going to, listen, he's going to resurrect it. He cares for you, body, soul, spirit. He cares for it all. All of it is his. All of it he gave his life to redeem. And he says, honor God, glorify God, not just spiritually with your soul, but honor God how? With your body as well. Folks, you can't separate out the physical and the spiritual. God has made it clear that he cares for it all. We cannot sit back and say as believers, what I do with my body has no impact with, on, with or on my spiritual walk. This is a lie from hell. He goes as far as to say, listen, you have to decide, and here's where we're going to go next. When you have sex... He says, you're unifying yourself to someone else. I mean, you think about how when we say it's just physical, it's not spiritual. That's why when we say, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, seeing, are we compatible? We're going to live together, have sex, see if everything's good or not good. Listen, sex is the consummation of the marital relationship. It is the union that is literally making two become, guess what? One. One. In that moment, when you make those covenants, and you're there on your honeymoon, you consummate the marriage, and the two of you, it's a spiritual thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a life-changing thing, but we have diminished it, and we have treated it like it's nothing. We took what was holy, what was good. We took the fine china, and we treated it like it was paper plates. And that's how we think of sex today. It's just a thing. No, it's more. We can separate it out. What I do physically has nothing to do with me spiritually. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, listen, your body was not made for immorality. It was made for me. It was made for the Lord. And he says, and the Lord, isn't this amazing? He says, the Lord is actually what? For the body. You know what that's saying to you? I created you in the beginning. Remember, God, Adam's just sitting over there lonely. He don't know what to do. But God comes to Adam and says, I'm going to give you a what? A helpmate, a wife. And he took that rib and he made this woman. He opens his eyes after this divine surgery and he's like, whoo. And God says, for this reason, you will what? Leave your father and mother and cling to your wife and the two of you become one flesh. And Jesus would add to it later what God brings together, let no man tear apart or tear asunder. Do you see the beautiful picture of what God meant for this relationship to be? And God, he's saying, listen, I'm not some cosmic killjoy. I'm not out here trying to ruin your life or make it where you have no fun for your body and there's no joy and there's no just beautiful spiritual aspect to these desires that you have that are raging inside of you. He says, no, the body is for me. And he says, I am for the body. When will we learn to trust God to act inside of what he says? This is where you'll find joy and peace. Because you see, for many of us today, this subject, this topic, is literally the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. All over again. For many of us, this is that moment where we will decide, listen, God knows best. God has desires and plans. Listen, he gave me all of the garden. He said, you can eat of everything, but you don't need to eat of this. And yet we question God's goodness, don't we? 
Well, if I can't have this one thing, then I don't want anything. And God, you're not good. And God, you don't care. I mean, you see how we're just repeating the garden? Maybe God's holding back on you. Maybe there's something that's there that God just doesn't want you to enjoy because he knows how much you're... I mean, we have all these crazy... It's the garden all over again. And we have to go back to the place. Really, the sin of the garden, you know what it boiled down to? I'm God. Who was going to be God in the garden? Well, folks, sexually, who's going to be God in your life? Will you trust him with his plans and his purposes? He also gives three reasons why we must choose sexual purity. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, because I don't want you to get diseases or I don't want you to become pregnant out of wedlock. He doesn't say it's for your own emotional well-being. None of those things actually get mentioned here. Do you notice that? That's how we usually teach the topic of sex to our children. Well, here are the reasons why you don't want to do that because you're going to end up pregnant or you know, you're going to get a disease. You know, down the road, it's going to make your marriage struggle. None of those are the reasons that God gives. Now, do I think those reasons are true? Absolutely. But they're the fruit of something that's much deeper. The root of where we have to get our children and where we have to get ourselves as adults is he says, here are the reasons for sexual purity. We are members of Christ's body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? I mean, let that sink in a second, what he's saying. And then he says, can I take those members of Christ? Can I take the body of Christ and make them members with a prostitute? May it never be. Don't you know that who he joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? He says the two become one flesh. What he's saying and what we miss is that if we are in Christ, we are a member of his body. And listen to what he's saying. You're taking me into your sexual morality. You think you just get to leave Jesus at home? Have you forgotten how intimate your relationship is with him? It'd be like me looking at Melanie and saying, I'm going to go see a prostitute. Why don't you come? Could I do anything more to dishonor her? Than destroy her trust and her love? Could you imagine a scenario? And he's saying, you've forgotten that you're a member of Christ. You're part of his body. You are his bride. You are his temple. We're members of Christ's body. This is what makes sexual immorality so obnoxious for a Christian. It's actually taking Christ into our illicit sex lives. The Corinthians or any believer who commits these sexual sins is dragging Jesus into it. Because listen, he says, he that is joined to Christ has become one spirit. You're one with him. Listen, you can't divide spirit, right? You're one with spirit.
But as members of his body, we said that he's for our body. He knows what's best for us. We live in a world where the mantra is, nobody can tell me what to do with my body. It's the essence of sin, the essence of pride, the essence of arrogance before God to say, I know better than you. You who created me, you who know me, you who are holy and righteous and so far above me. That's the gravity of that sin. You're saying, I know better than you. Christ says, the body was for me and I'm for the body. I also want you to see that God doesn't just love you enough to save your soul from sin. He loves you enough to redeem your body for eternity. The second reason is we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes that very abundantly clear. Verse 18, he says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you are not your own. You see, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, what Paul is saying to us. And I want you to hear this. You are, I mean, to me, it, it, it's, um, it's amazing. This ought to motivate, motivate us about how we live our lives and, and whether we trust God and we honor God with our lives. Could you imagine sexual immorality within this room on a Sunday morning? What would y'all's reaction be as a church? Somebody has an affair right here in the middle of cert. Would, would you be abhorred? I mean, would it, is that not? Would you not go insane? When he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, you know what he's actually referring to? Not to the temple proper. The word that he uses there is the Holy of Holies. This was the place where when they sent a priest in there, by the end they put a little rope on that dude with bells. So when the bells quit ringing, they thought maybe he got struck down because you didn't approach God with open sin in your life. That was what the purification for and the cleansings were for. And then you could go in and make sacrifice. But we entered the Holy of Holies because we knew God was holy. And it was a holy place before a holy God. He's saying, are you going to drag all of that into the temple? Into the very holy place of God? Do you recognize? I mean, what if we just, up on the screens while I'm preaching, you just put pornography up there? Would anybody be offended by that? You think this is a holier place than this? Do you see what he's getting at? you see the, how deep that motivation ought to be for us? Since the Holy Spirit indwells us, we ought to be very careful and discerning about not desecrating or defiling this temple that he's made us to be. And they finish there with, we're not our own. It's very easy to look at God and say, you're not the boss of me. Now, most of us wouldn't say that, but we live that way. You know, we're not that brave in front of our parents. Most of us don't have the nerve to say, you ain't the boss of me, but we're going to live like you're not the boss of me. Well, folks, that's exactly what Jesus is going to say to you. 
I'm Lord of all or I'm Lord of nothing. On that day when he turns people away from eternal life, they're going to say, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, I'm not your Lord. You never obeyed me. You never followed me. You did what you wanted to do. You were your own God. Folks, we are not our own. And indeed, he actually is the boss of us. All the Christian can say is, my body belongs to God, and I will do what he wants me to do with it. That is the only option for a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know how that sits with you. Have you come to grips with that? And for the record... It's not just about your body, but when things begin to happen and affairs happen and pornography happens and sex outside of marriage happens, it's not only your body you may be defiling, but another's. See, these people thought they were autonomous. They could decide for themselves what was right or wrong. They lived in a world like we live in where, you know what, everybody's telling us there's no absolutes. There's no external commands. There's no principles that that can judge our sex lives. What we do with our own bodies is a matter of personal, private ethics. That is not true. I will say it one more time. It is not my body, my choice. It is my body, God's temple. And see, we said this last week that the Christian really is a man who isn't saying who's boss. He isn't a man who's saying, I can do what I want. A real Christian man, a real Christian woman is not a person who is thinking of his own rights, but he's thinking of his own debts. He can't do what he likes because he belongs to another. I'd like to think that's what keeps most of us, right? We love our spouses. We've made a commitment to another. That ought to drive us to stay holy in our marriage. What about our relationship with the Lord? A man never belongs to himself when he's a Christian. He belongs to Christ and he always does what Christ wants him to do. Why? Because Christ bought him at the cost of his very life. And here's the one clear command. It's simple. Flee sexual immorality. You go back up to verse 18. That's exactly what it says. Two words. Two simple words. What do you do when it comes to sexual sin? What do you do, church? Run. That means when you find yourself in the back of a car and you realize, you know what, this isn't a good thing. What do you need to do? You need to go. You find yourself at lunch with a woman that you work with and suddenly you start to feel something for her. What do you need to do? Now, number one, you shouldn't have been there. But if you found yourself there, when you begin to realize what's happening, what do you need to do? Get up and leave. Get up and say, I made a mistake. Get up and say, I am sorry. When you're at a friend's house and they decide we're going to put pornography in, my parents aren't home and dad has it, let's put it in and watch it. That's when you have to say, mom, dad, guess what? I need you to come get me. Because if you don't flee from it, it will destroy 
you. It's the 20-foot alligator in the closet with you. There is no place to go. You will not get away. It will get a hold of you if you sit there. And folks, we've got to learn to flee from sexual immorality because it devastates painfully. Sexual sin condemns eternally. Don't underestimate the effect of bodily sin. It it destroys lives. It breaks marriages. It shatters homes. It shatters kids. It causes heartache, hurt, pain. It leads to all sorts of other sins like lying, stealing, cheating, bitterness, hatred, slander, gossip, unforgiveness, even murder. Isn't that the story of David in the Old Testament? All of his unraveling began with one sexual immoral act. And the whole rest of his life was undone. That's how serious the topic is that we are discussing this week and the weeks ahead. And so church, as Kevin's coming, I want you guys to understand. I know this is a heavy text. I know the next several weeks are going to be heavy texts. I I can try to be funny. I can try to make this palatable. I I just want to speak the truth to us today. Because this is a topic, this is a discussion, this is an issue that, listen, it is destroying the Western culture, it is destroying the Western church. And by church, you do know what I mean, right? Not this organization. You, me. Our ability to serve and follow after God. God has the plan. God has the way. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But there are some of you that are here today. Listen, you are so lost in sexual sin. You need to repent today. You need to confess today. You need to get before God and you need to get honest with God today. Because as long as that sin remains, how do you think you're going to walk close with the Lord? God will use a broken, chipped vessel. In fact, you would drink from a broken or chipped vessel. But you know what you would never drink from? A filthy one. Go back to last week. He wants to cleanse us. Wash us. He wants to sanctify us. Change our hearts, our motives, our nature, and make us like Jesus He has justified us. We're not guilty anymore. We have been set free not to keep sinning, to stop sinning. Father, today this message is so much for the body of believers. Lord, the world won't understand it. If I went and preached this on a street corner, they would look at me like I had two heads. But Lord, we as a body ought to fully understand the gospel and the implications of who you are and who we are and what you've done to free us from our sin. And so, Father, I pray today that you would remove the sexual sin that is inside of us, that is around us. Lord, that we are engaging in, whether it's all these things we've talked about, there are so many ways that it is pressing into our lives. God, show us that we can be free. Let us believe again that we don't have to give in to culture. We don't have to give in to the world. We don't have to give in to our flesh. We have the power of the resurrected Christ the Holy Spirit inside of us. So Lord, no more excuses. 
show us that you are powerful, able. Give us confidence, Lord, that we don't have to eat of a forbidden fruit because we can't trust you. Lord, you are trustworthy. Your words give us life, joy, peace, all that we're longing for if we will just trust you. So, Father, I pray that today, right where people are, Lord, I I could care less if anybody sings today because I can guarantee you most everybody in this room needs time before you to ask you to cleanse them. Remind them they're sanctified and justified, that they've been washed clean and they don't have to live that way. And, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you today and somehow through this topic says, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me, empower me, free me, so I don't have to live in sin. Lord, I pray that the gospel would go out today and it would change somebody's life. That they would repent of their sins, ask you to save them, and follow you with their whole heart. Lord, we give you this moment in Jesus' name.